Welcome to the Wonder Women Tech Show, where we highlight, celebrate, and amplify global leaders who are creating impact. We humanize our role models and curate a culture of vulnerability and belonging. This is a show designed to innovate, empower, and ignite. I'm your host, Lisa Mae Brunson. It's Lisa Mae Brunson with the Wonder Women Tech Show. Today's guest is coming to us from the happiest place on earth. Kimberly Wilson is a passionate 20-year media and entertainment marketing strategist, currently serving as vice president multi-platform marketing for Disney Platform Distribution. As vice president, she leads a team of marketers tasked with increasing and sustaining content distribution for the Walt Disney Company's content portfolio, which includes highly sought-after brands like ESPN, Marvel, Pixar, ABC, and FX. She is also passionate about serving her community in a variety of ways, and we'll chat more about that in today's show. But first, thank you so much for being here, Kim. Thank you for having me, Lisa May. It's good to be here. Yeah, I was reading about all the amazing things you do in the world, including being a VP exec at Disney. And I just have to say, I am in such awe of you. Do you ever sleep? Listen, I get my sleep. (laughs) I figured out it's so important. And so, yes, I do, but I am busy. (laughs) You are busy. I was just, I was learning about you. And I have to say, this is a common thread among so many women that I get to not only interview on this podcast, but just cross paths with through the Wonder Woman Tech ecosystem, that most, if not all, of these amazing pioneering women are juggling a million things at the same time, and not inclusive of a family, just inherently with the work that they do and their outside interests. And then you add families on top of that, and it's just, it's an, it's amazing. Absolutely. And what's interesting is you see that more pronounced during COVID and just having to now pivot in how you manage your life and manage your work. So it has been very eye-opening and, and hard for a lot of people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That whole balance and all of that. So family is very important to you, speaking about family. And so I would love to learn more about your roots, where you come from, what was it like growing up? Absolutely. So I am from the south side of Chicago. I want to be super clear about what side of the city I'm from. Like Michelle Obama, right? Yes, like 10 minutes from each other. I didn't, unfortunately, know her growing up, but, you know, we have mutual acquaintances. But yeah, I grew up in, on the south side of Chicago. I had the oldest daughter of two girls. My parents were married 45 years before my dad passed away in 2014. Wow. Uh, but a really nice middle-class life. My dad owned uh, his own business. My mother was the manager of the business. So had a really nice upbringing. My dad was a risk taker, so he pursued a lot of his interests. He kind of designed his life around that. So while he owned his own business, it was really just so he could travel, so he could 
you know, read more. He, he followed his curiosity in ways that I think many of us wish we could, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Um, but my, neither one of my parents graduated from college, but that was extremely important to them for my sister and, and myself. So my sister Valerie, two years younger than me, she graduated from Hampton University and then went on to get two master's degrees. And then I was a late bloomer. So I had gone away to school but then decided a year in that I didn't want to do it. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> you know what? I'm good. <laughs> and you can imagine that did not go over well in my household. <laughs> and so I left University of Illinois after a year and just decided to work with only a high school diploma. And I did that for eight years before I knew oh, wow. what I wanted to do. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm a complete late bloomer here. Wow, that is really interesting. Yeah, you know, it is interesting because my sister, who, again, is two years younger than me, went straight through. She graduated from high school, went to college, worked for a while, went back to school. I was like, mm, I'm going to do the opposite of that. <laughs> off because <laughs> <laughs> you're supposed to set the example as oldest and you're like nah not for me a hundred percent but it was important because it is my story and I truly had I not done those things and made those decisions I would not even be in entertainment yeah because you struggled to find what you wanted to do in life but you had a, a life-changing moment when you saw the 1999 Malcolm D. Lee film the best man, which motivated you to pursue your own career endeavors, you know, wake up, get yourself back in the saddle. So tell us, tell us what about that film impacted you in such a profound way? I've never seen the film, so I'd love to hear a little synopsis as well. The Best Man was the first film, or the first of a couple of films, but really the first film where I saw a cast of Black actors playing nuanced characters who were successful but flawed. There was a friendship, there was love, there was betrayal. There were all the things that you got to see in other films, but you really never saw that with us. And I think because of where I was in my life in terms of trying to figure out what it was that I wanted to do, to see these characters on the screen absolutely changed everything. Specifically Mia Long's character, she was a BET producer. And so being able to see her do that made me believe I could do that. And I was only a semester back in school by this time. Mm. And when I tell you I hit the ground running, I doubled my classes. I reached out to BET for an internship. Like, that was a pivotal moment for me. Wow. So that movie, yeah, that movie changed the game. And it really just magnifies the importance of representation in media because that is a case study right there that seeing ourselves represented in media can change the way that we shape our careers and structure how future generations move and are inspired in the world. Yeah, and that saying that you can't be what you can't see is real. And coming up in Chicago, there wasn't a lot of industry. There wasn't a lot of entertainment industry here. And if it was, it was hidden. You know, you have to know someone. And I didn't know anyone. I was going to school initially to be an accountant. So oh. by the time wow. I was back to school, right, very different. <laughs> uh, but that my parents were like, that's an honorable career. You can make a ton of money. You're at University of Illinois. That's a big deal. 
but it wasn't, as I say, my ministry. So I knew that I needed to figure out what I wanted to do that was going to marry what I was passionate about and excited about with learning something new. And this industry did that. So when I saw that film and I realized that, oh, so I could do that. I just need to be a little bit more intentional about it. And it changed everything. That's so inspiring to hear because to go for, I mean, eight years of kind of floating and not really landing anywhere and then seeing a film and you're like, okay, I'm going to double my classes and take this seriously. You know, you went from nope to heck yes. (laughs) It's funny because I was kind of like that where I'm like, school, ugh. Do I have to? Do I have to keep going? I just want to get things done. And there are a lot of people because, you know, education is forever evolving. And we don't think about all the different ways that we can become educated and inspired and go after our dreams. And yours is just another example of the complex roads that you've taken to get to where you are today. Yeah, it's a really good point. There's more than one way to get there. And I think my story is a really good example of that. I think if I had gone through the kind of traditional route, I don't know that I I would have taken those turns. I would have picked the school that I ultimately ended up graduating from, which is an art school. I don't know that I would have reached out to BET. And by the way, when I tell you timing is everything, when I reached out to BET for this internship, the woman who received my resume was not only from Chicago, but it graduated from the college I was attending. Mm. And so when she said, listen, the internship is yours if you can get to D.C., it was like, wait, take a leave of absence from my good government job because I was working for the state's attorney's office, the paralegal, because I thought that's what I wanted to do. And so then a series of events started to happen. I moved to Maryland, lived with my cousin, and worked in BT's headquarters as a 28-year-old intern. Three months in, I come back to Chicago, go back to my job, finishing school my last semester, and they reached out to me about a full-time position in the Chicago office at BET. So with only that three-month experience, they hired me as a manager. And I just felt like... By the time I would have gotten to that place from a traditional route, I would have been entry level. They would have hired me as like an assistant or something like that. So timing is everything. I mean, just the more I listen, my head's cocked to the side. I'm just like, wow, like 28-year-old intern. And then here's the management job. Here you go with the most influential black entertainment company that there is, BET. So, wow, what was going through your head when you got the call? And then what was it like for you to step into that role? You know, there was excitement. There was a feeling of, am I ready? There was, I don't know, but I asked for it. Oh, you just all <laughs> <Yeah>. emotions. <laughs> because I had spent so much time doing jobs I didn't enjoy and not having a college degree to be able to position me for better. So when it showed up, because I had put in the work, I'd gotten support from my family, I had all of these things that happened. When it showed up, I didn't know what to I was a little bit in shock. Listen, shoot your shot. You mm-hmm. never know who will just say, you know what, I see something in you. I am going to give you the opportunity because you have potential. Because that's the only reason. That could have been the only reason they hired me. I had zero <laughs> entertainment. <laughs> this is just, I just, I'm loving this conversation. 
And the lesson in that too is if we did that more for people, especially the underrepresented, where we don't always have to prove that we've done the job to get the job, because that's not always Mm -hmm. how this works. We know that. Imagine the talent that we miss out on when we don't look at it through with that lens. When we don't say, you know what, you may not have the five years that's listed in this job description, but these other skill sets are transferable. And oh, by the way, I see potential in you and I'm going to help you and support you in getting to the place you want to go. We miss out on so much talent when we don't do that. Cam, preach! Oh, man, it is so true because we do miss out on that. You know, I remember growing up, you know, I didn't have traditional background experience either. And I've always just been a go-getter. I mean, I still to this day don't know how I'm doing what I'm doing because I had no experience when when I launched. You know, I was actually trying to launch an internet TV company um, focused on representation in media. That's actually how I first started. And nobody was listening to me. I mean, I was ahead of my time. And I couldn't get anyone to fund me or listen. But the seeds I planted, everything I did, I did some social innovation work. I was launching these little campaigns, everything from hugs campaigns to photo campaigns. And I felt like nobody saw me. But one thing led to the next to the next. And then suddenly here I am launching hackathons for social good, creating a tech conference. Okay, like I had no idea how to put a tech conference on, like what? And and build partnerships, you know, with these Fortune 500 companies, like, oh, now we're building partnerships. I had no idea, but it's so true that for every person that has believed in me, you know, like Mayor Garcia, who's the mayor of Lo- the city of Long Beach, you know, the commission on the status of women in Los Angeles who said, hey, we love what you're doing. Can you build that over here? It is so true. Like how far can you go if just one person or one organization or one opportunity is presented to you to shine. 1,000%. And we see it all the time where, you know, we have to prove that we're, we've already done it. Not that we can do it, that we've already yes. done it. But be able to, you just never know what people, will, people are capable of doing if they're just given the opportunity. And I feel like in our instance, that happened and look what comes from that so there are hundreds and thousands of case studies like this that if you just invest in pouring to people you never know where they may go you never know that next big idea where that comes from who comes up with that what disruption they cause what new innovation comes out of it but if we're looking at people through a very traditional lens and it's also, you have X amount of years of experience. I can't tell you how many people, <laughs> young people, that I have hired who, on paper, didn't necessarily qualify. But because of my experience, I can extend that level of empathy and say, you know what, though? I think you'd be great. And I'm willing to invest the time to ensure that you'll be great. Because a lot of times we want to hire for expediency and not hire for growth. So mm. for me, I feel like when I was tapped, and I truly believe that's what it was, it was about we're going to hire for growth and not just hire because I need someone to get in the seat and do this job immediately. And that takes time and that takes patience. That takes a little bit of effort. 
Absolutely, because you you do have to invest in them. You know, you see the potential and then you have to invest in them so that they can grow and then ultimately blow you away. That's right. We need more leaders like you, Kimberly. I am just really inspired. And I get to, you know, one of the things that I feel is really one of my biggest blessings in this work that I do is that I get to meet leaders like you. I'm just blown away by you wonderful women who are at the top, who can open doors and pathways for our future generations of people of color and women who can get inside of these spaces and innovate. We need more people like you. So how did you come to be part of the happiest place on earth and get into the Walt Disney company? The magic. The magic. Along the way, just building relationships. So when I was at BT, I worked with this wonderful woman who is one of my best friends to this day. And it was, you know, I met her 20 years ago. She was working for Disney after her stint at BT. And by this time, I had moved to New Orleans to work in radio. And she said, hey, there's a role at Disney. At the time, it really was ESPN, but Disney owned uh, owned ESPN. And she said, there's a manager role in the distribution group, which is the same group I worked in at BET. And she said, do you want to interview for it? Now, at the time, I was in New Orleans. I was a director. And I think it was time for me to leave radio. I, I loved New Orleans, but it was time. It was time for growth. And I interviewed for this role and got it. And what was interesting about that transition, because again, you sometimes you have to make moves that aren't or perceived as kind of this like vertical, mm-hmm. straight up. I was a director overseeing 11 people in seven radio stations. I went to Disney as a manager, as an individual contributor. Ah. So for me, long game was, it was the Walt Disney Company. <laughs> so, chess, let you know this is the queen's gambit. You know you're yes, you're making your chess yeah. moves. <laughs> so it was about let's get in and then show what you can do and then navigate from there. So I left New Orleans in 2005, two months before Katrina hit, mm. and moved to Los Angeles for this role, and I've been there for 15 years. So listening to your whole story and just like learning about, you know, I left just before Katrina hit, it seems like your life has been a series of these magical events that have like led you to where you are today. That is so profound. She never thought about it that way, but I think you're absolutely right. Because, so it's funny you said that because when I left, well, BET asked me to leave because Viacom had just bought the Like, that's what I was willing to do 
to stay in entertainment. And from that, she recommended me for the director job in New Orleans. And so I moved to New Orleans. And it was interesting because I didn't want to go. I I didn't want to leave Chicago. And she very specifically said to me, her name is Angela Ingram. She said, you need to go where the opportunities are. I don't have a full-time position for you. So you need to take a little bit more risk, stop being so conservative and move to New Orleans and go for this job. It's going to set you up. And she was absolutely right. Had I not gone to New Orleans, I would not have gotten this job at Disney. I'm pretty confident of that. I, I had to stop in New Orleans yeah. to gain that experience and then was able to make the case as to why I was ready for more responsibility sooner than, say, traditionally had I come in as a manager with less experience. So for me, it's all about the story, how you're telling your story, taking risks not being afraid to, to your point, get out of your comfort zone, move to another city. You know, I had no friends. I didn't know anyone in New Orleans, but have lifetime friends now from New Orleans. And so it's all part of this one journey, this 20-year journey that started at the age of 28, and I only had an associate's degree. I'm literally getting tears in my eyes just because it's so important for women like us, people of color, people who have felt marginalized, people who have not had that traditional opportunity to get into education or get into a management or opportunities, just in general, access to opportunity, right? Access. Somebody who says, I believe in you, so I'm going to take a chance on you at 28 and come on in and have this internship, have this opportunity at BET. Most of us would never have that opportunity or even go after it, right? But we need to know that any one of us can be you. Any one of us, this could be our story. You absolutely nailed it because I think people thought that, I don't know, I had this traditional kind of path and just moved up. I mean, there were a lot of taking steps back, a lot of being on unemployment, a lot of almost losing my health. I mean, there's all those things that come with that. But for me, I knew what it felt like to work somewhere that you didn't feel valued and you felt like it was a dead end and you didn't have what you needed to be able to play out in the world with everybody else. I knew what that felt like. And while that work was noble work, it wasn't for me. I have lifelong friends that I worked with at the state's attorney's office. I worked with at the Cook County Public Defender's Office. But that wasn't my path. And to be exposed, the access is so important, to be exposed to images like the best man, to be inspired by the woman who worked, who's from Chicago and went to the school I graduated from, who said, I'm going to give you a shot. You know, there these series of people being put in your path who are willing to lend a hand, who are willing to open their resources and their network to you. And the point about not being afraid to take chances is huge because you can get complacent. There's a lot of feeling like, well, if I make this move, what if it's the wrong move? Mm -hmm. Or what if I make a mistake? Or what if I, you know, that imposter syndrome sets in? What if I'm not who I think I am? There's all of that. And pushing past that is more than a notion, but we have to do it. And our circle of people, surround yourself with people who will lift you up, who will challenge you, who will support you. And then you have to pay that forward. That's 100% part of the process is how are you then paying that forward? Oh, man. I could just sit here and be in your word, sis. Uh, <laughs> so let's 
shadow you for a day because you are a vice president of multi-platform marketing inside of the Walt Disney Company. What is that? Like, what do you do? My job, essentially, I work in an organization that is responsible for the distribution of all of the Walt Disney Company's content. So all the television networks, ABC, ESPN, FX, Disney channels, all of that, National Geographic. And then all of our movie content to theaters, movie content to the digital platform, TV content to the digital platform, as well as direct-to-consumer, so Disney+, Plus, ESPN+, Plus, Hulu. So any content, we monetize all of the content for the Walt Disney Company. My specific team is responsible for, we're charged with managing the marketing relationships with those third-party platforms who carry our content. So on the TV side, it might be your cable provider. It might be, you know, your streamer. On the digital side, it might be Amazon Fire TV or Roku, all the devices that carry our apps. And then on the transactional side, it's Amazon Prime or iTunes when you go and buy a movie or you go and buy a television episode. So we manage and oversee the marketing relationship for all of those platforms. You know, Kim, I'm sitting here with an image of you at 30 putting up these posters. I mean, I'm watching you as like a street promoter, you know? <laughs> And then now you are in an exec office, I'm imagining, by the way, in a, in a black leather, or maybe a brown leather chair with your team, and you're directing the teams who are creating the posters, the artwork, who will, you know, who that young little girl, well, you weren't young little, but you know what I mean, who that, who that person was like on the streets putting that poster up. I mean... How does that is like it comes full circle? It's so beautiful to see. It does. Thank you for that reminder because you can, it's easy to get caught up in the now and not really remember what it took to get to this place. It's so true. Yeah. And, you know, it starts with the seed planted and it starts with the legacy. So, with that, we're going to take a break for today's Pioneering Women in STEAM segment and we'll be back shortly. And now it's time for today's Pioneering Women segment. Today's Pioneering Woman is Ava DuVernay. DuVernay is known to be the first Black woman to win the Director's Award at the 2012 Sundance Film Festival for her second feature film, Middle of Nowhere. The filmmaker also directed the Oscar-nominated film, Selma, which chronicles Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s leadership in the struggle for voting rights. She is also the first African-American female director to receive a Golden Globe nomination and have a film nominated for a Best Picture Oscar. DuVernay received numerous accolades as the writer and director of the four-part Netflix miniseries, When They See Us, and is working on many more compelling masterpieces highlighting Black stories and voices. Thank you for your pioneering contribution, Ava DuVernay. Innovators, we are back with Kimberly Wilson talking about the happiest place on earth. And she's taken us to church, y'all, because she has a word. 
I'm so inspired by your work and your commitment to social impact and giving back. You serve on the board of St. Joseph Center, whose mission is to provide care, support, and resources for the Los Angeles homeless community. So at some point, you went from Chicago to New Orleans to Los Angeles community. So first, where do you find the time to now also sit on a board? And second, what impact does this work make in your life? It's a, it's a really good question because I ran from that board for about a year. <laughs> I, was, I was like, I am not going to be a valuable addition. I've got way too much going on. And then, you know, the amazing CEO, Alicia uh, Abby's Callum, who recruited me uh, and also happens to be a sorority sister, she... I was inspired by the work that she and the board do in the organization, what they do for the homeless community in Los Angeles, that I stopped running. I was like, all right, enough. You find time to do whatever else you want to do. You could find time to do this. <laughs> they do more than just pass out food or a fee. Like, they actually have a culinary program where they teach their clients how to cook, to be chefs. Mm. Uh, they have a restaurant where their clients actually serve and prepare food. They provide resources like housing, temporary, and then helping them get to permanent house. So it's almost a 360 approach to ensuring that our clients have the resources they need to ultimately be self-sufficient. And so that was really attractive to me. It's not a one and done, right? They yeah. truly see their clients as people who can ultimately get to a place where they can take care of themselves. And it's a beautiful thing to see. So I was like, I'm in. What do I need to do? Wow. I'm so passionate about social impact. You know, I that's how I live my life. I do hugs campaigns every year. And this is the first oh time gosh. I have to think. I've hugged over 13,000 people since 2008. I usually go to the Grove during the holidays and I pass out Christmas cards with, I mean, I hand write these messages. Oh my God. You know, I I appreciate that because I also, I live alone. I have my dog. Something that I learned early on when I first started my Love, Hugs, and Inspiration campaign, people were telling me these stories. Some of these people hadn't been hugged. I mean, literally one person was like, at Arizona State University, I did a campaign and a student there literally said, I don't know how to hug. And I'm like, what? And I just grabbed her. Yeah, she literally said that to me. And these are the kinds of small and large impacts that we can make by giving back and being of service. And I also feel like it has made me a better leader because I tap into empathy. I tap into compassion and vulnerability. In what ways has this served you as a leader? You know, I was just having this conversation uh, during Afrotech. I was on a panel when we were talking about the human side of innovation and what it means to evolve as a leader during this time. Like, emotional IQ has just raised with the roof for some people who are, were already empathetic, but I think it becomes heightened. Yeah. So I remember getting on a call with team member and we get on a Zoom and I look at her face and I immediately see something's not right. She looks emotional, but you can tell, like, she, I'm on she's like, you could tell she has this look like, I'm on with my VP, I need to keep it together, but yeah. I'm struggling. Yeah. And I immediately say, are you okay? And then when her bottom lip started to quiver, I, I was like, you know what? Why don't we reschedule and you take the day? Takes that level of, I don't know, 
engagement or just like heightened awareness, that empathy to be able to immediately identify that something's not right and extend that person some grace mm-hmm. and not push through a meeting that she wasn't prepared to have. Yeah. And so if you're already empathetic, I feel like this caused you to be or just kind of amplify that in you. And hopefully it's taught people who didn't really exercise that muscle before. It taught people to be more empathetic uh, for people in their family, people at work, you know, humanity at large. Yeah. You know, one of the biggest takeaways I learned was that I've been doing life wrong. (laughs) You know, I've been like hiding behind the curtains. I haven't let people see the real struggles, especially with, you know, we are bootstrapped. We like, you know, we work with these companies, but some of these companies give us pennies to what they would give us other platforms, you know? And so we've had, like you mentioned earlier about proving yourself that you already do it before you've even done it, right? That has been my story since day one. And seven years later, still my story. And I reached a a point where I'm like sick. I have nothing else to lose. I'm like, screw, we already, like, we're at square one. I'm gonna, you know, my word is, I have nothing else to lose because... I've already done my work. I know what I'm capable of. And so now I'm going to speak my truth and be so authentic and vulnerable and ask for what I need. And those that I'm meant to work with and create with and journey on this journey with will be here for me. And that's why I showed up like that. And that's why I said, screw the smoke and mirrors that I've been in. I'm just going to be authentic. And yeah, some people, you know, I had a couple of people slide into my DMs and say like, oh, you shouldn't really let people know that. And I'm like, I don't really care because this is real life. And in the spirit of vulnerability, Kim, tell us something that you've never shared with anyone else before. So I will say this, and and I have not shared this with anyone because I think people have a perspective about you that is one thing, and they don't really know you, that I do absolutely suffer at times from imposter syndrome. Absolutely. I have moments where I question my abilities, which is not necessarily healthy, although it does motivate me in certain ways. And I don't know if it's the humility piece, but I've suffered from that. And I, But I'm smart enough to know that there are people who I can talk to about that. And it's not about stroking ego, or it's helping you kind of talk through, well, why do you believe these things, or why do you, why do you feel that way? And I've never said that out loud, so that's one. Wow. And that's something that all of us kind of identify with because, I mean, I know, I, I mean, I know I struggle with that. But, you know, I think it makes sense to me, though, Kim, because, look, you came to be where you are through so many untraditional methods, right? And you've kind yeah. of, like, it sounds like, you know, just listening to your journey, because I'm, I'm going to put on my, you know, psychologist hat here. Uh <laughs> That you really like landed in these spaces through opportune moments and had to jump in and roll up your sleeves in real time. So you're like, you're working through everything that you're doing in real time and you're in the R&D mode and trial and error and you're doing it all in real time. So it makes sense that you would feel in some moments like, you know, what the hell am I doing? You know, what am I? <laughs> I just, I'm just winging it. And I, I do that. I know there are a, a ton of us who, who go through those seasons where you question, am I good enough? 
am I as smart as I as I as people think I am? You know, mm-hmm. but it's it's something we we have to push through because it is a sabotaging uh, characteristic. Like you will derail your whole situation if you sit in that too long. No, and it's so true. And I really appreciate you for being, you know, authentic and vulnerable enough to share that so that we can get an insight into how you do feel during times when you don't feel like you're measuring up to other, usually other people's expectations, but even those of yourself. Now, you've taken us all over the place, like, you know, a million and one paths. And if you could go back, would you take the easy road or the road less traveled and why? You know, it's, it's a, an exceptional question because there's always that, should I, had I done what would have, would I be further along in my career? Would I, and in this instance, I don't think I would have done anything differently. Every move I made, every decision I made, even though at the time it felt like the world was over. Like, I just remember my dad being so upset with me for not registering for community college yet. And just angry with me because I was such a good high school student. I got into U of I and then just became like, I don't want to do that. So he couldn't understand it. But I think he ultimately got it. When I got that internship at BET and I'd gone back to college, it finally clicked for him that all those things prior led me to that place. Mm. And I don't know that I would have gotten there had I not been fighting with him about not registering for school yet. Or, you know, becoming a a legal secretary for the public defender's office or going to get a paralegal degree that I'm not sure what I thought I was going to do with that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think any of those things would matter. And by the way, it helped those things also helped me get out of Columbia College sooner because Mm. I had accumulated so many credits trying to figure out what I wanted to do. By the time I got to the school that I ultimately graduated from, I only had two years left. So for me, it just all played a part. It was all a piece to a puzzle, got me to where I am. And I've tried really hard not to miss the journey because I know what it feels like to be lost and to not know what you want to do, not knowing who, like I didn't have mentors before this. I didn't have anyone that I could say, you know, should I get an internship? I thought of that watching The Best Man. And so I told my, I was able to tell my story to Malcolm D. Lee at All-Star Weekend last year. Oh, wow. Like, I saw him in a suite, and I was like, I want to tell him, but he may not believe me. So I convinced someone else to go get him, and he listened to my story. He was a little bit in shock, because I don't know that he understood how powerful the best man was for a few of us. And when I told him my story, he texted me along in front of me, to tell her what I just told him, took a picture of us together and sent it to her. And oh I was my. like, I'm done. I quit. I'm, I'm retired. <laughs> oh, man. So that's oh. 19 years after his film. And I think what the lesson was that I don't get awestruck often. I've been in the business a long time. But when you're inspired and you get, you're able to tell the person who inspired you how they inspired you, it just brought it all full circle. So I don't think I would even have this story had I done anything differently. 
I'm like, there goes my tears. That is so beautiful and inspiring. And just being able to sit with here with you and hear your story and be part of your journey. And then to have it end with this full circle of I told the person that influenced me on my path, what impact he made on me. You know, that is anyone's dream, like to be able to celebrate with the people that bring you to where you are today. And I'm grateful. I hope that those of you listening to this podcast and listening to Kimberly's story can take something powerful away. And even if it's just that seed of hope that you can blossom, no matter how old you are, no matter what stage of life you're in, whether you feel like you're 80 or whether you feel like you're 10, like you can make your dreams come true. And Kimberly Wilson is a living example of that. You can find your happiest place on earth. Thank you so much, Kimberly. Thank you, Lisa May. This was really incredible. And best of luck to you and everything that you're doing. And, you know, I'm watching and supporting. Just know that. Oh, thank you. I support you too. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Thank you.